1: Hello everyone, Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by Audible. If you'd like to download a free audiobook, you can go to teacherlukecouk forward slash audible, sign up for a 30-day trial, and you can download a free audiobook of your choice. Okay, right, now here's a new episode, so let's get started. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Luke's English podcast. How are you? I hope you're well. Hope you're fine. Uh, My brother is visiting me in Paris this week. Um, He's just come over for a few days. We've been hanging out. I've been showing him around Paris and doing various things. And I thought that I would take the chance to get him on the podcast again. So, uh, in this episode, My brother and I have a bit of a rambling chat about all sorts of different things. The general theme was that we would talk a little bit about sort of what uh, what we've been doing over the last few days, um, which has involved sort of doing tourist related things and also playing quite a lot of Grand Theft Auto. In fact, my brother is currently sitting in front of me playing PlayStation Three. We are in the middle of a game of Grand Theft Auto Five. How's it going? Uh, Not very well.
2: How can you be in the middle of a game? It lasts for years.
1: It it does last a long time. Anyway, um, in in the episode, you're going to hear us talking first of all about things we've been doing and also then go on to talk about stuff that's been in the news recently, uh, including a few sort of uh, political stories, but then some slightly more lighthearted stuff. And then a few little personal anecdotes and stories and things as well. Um, There's no specific language aim in this episode. The idea is that we would just sort of aim to talk about a variety of things with a bit of humour and a bit of seriousness as well um, and just see what kind of language comes out. So uh, just try and follow the stories and and the bits of news that we talk about and I hope that you enjoy listening to the episode. Uh, There will be more language-themed episodes coming up in the the future uh, but for now I hope you just enjoy this rambling conversation with my brother and here we go. And actually, by the way, I should mention that uh, as the conversation progresses, you might hear a bit of swearing in this one from time to time. So just bear that in mind. Uh, if you're sensitive about swearing, there might be a few little cases of that in this episode, but they sort of crop up in natural conversation. My brother is now attempting to escape from the police in a stolen Aston Martin. Um, and Oh, it's actually studio security who are chasing him because he's stolen this this James Bond, Aston Martin from a film set. He's currently driving at top speed through. Uh, I've lost he's lost control. He's got out of the car. Oh, my God. He's now running over a wall. He's going to run over a rock. He's heading for, he's heading for the beach. Um, and he's got a submachine gun. And he's currently attempting to escape from the security guys. Oh, he's just shot them in cold blood. He's just gunned them down. He's now, you now have to get back in the car. Someone's shooting you from the left This is exciting, ladies and gents. Turn left and shoot that person. No, he's just been killed. He got shot in the back. He's crap at this game. Okay, ladies and gents. So I just wanted to let you know there would be some swearing uh, in this episode. I must return to the subject of Grand Theft Auto at some point. I think I'll do a multitasking episode about that. And we'll see what happens there. But anyway, I'll now let you listen to our conversation in full, even with a little bit of swearing. And here it is. Uh, okay, so we've we've started. Um, I might edit this beginning bit out. I just want to check that the levels are all good. This you want is, me to do a test as well? Yes, this please. Mic number yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, this good. Is that sounds two. good. All right, I think we're I think we're fine. Um, all right, so uh, are you enjoying your cup of tea there?
2: Hello, Luke. Uh, yes, I am. Lovely uh, cup of uh, Mark and Spencer's
1: tea out of a. Um, TIE Fighter mug? A Star Wars mug. Yeah, don't slurp your tea on the podcast. I've... Oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> that's the, the one and only time I will do that. Okay. that so you know what slurp means. I've covered slurping on the podcast before because, you know, I drink tea on and the you, podcast. You're a slurper. I'm a bit of a slurper sometimes. I do like to slurp the tea occasionally, especially when it's hot. But uh, we sh- really shouldn't do that. I'm other... not going to slurp anymore. I'm going to sip like a, a good person. A very sort of... Um, uh, Find human. Okay, now um, could you just describe the tea that you're drinking? Because okay, first of all, um, many people uh, when they think about the English and, and or the British and how much we drink tea, they have this image in their mind of a kind of tea time situation somewhere in the middle of the afternoon, maybe four o'clock. And everyone suddenly stops whatever they're doing because it's tea time, and we have and we have um, like tea with a tea set, and someone brings it out on a tray, and there's like a teapot and a milk jug and cups and saucers, and it's all very much like sort of Downton Abbey or something. It's, now, is that what is that what it's really like when we drink tea in England? It's not really like that.
2: For one thing, we don't use all the china and everything. We just put a tea bag in a mug. Pour the w- hot water on, swirl it around, chuck it, and then put some milk and sugar in it. So there's not the whole routine that people associate with it.
1: All of the kind of uh, different cups and saucers and bowls and teapots and things. And I'd say tea is drunk kind of habitually like
2: the way some people smoke cigarettes uh-huh. is the way the English drink tea is the way i describe it. So first thing in the morning, if you're a tea drinker like me, a heavy one, I have first thing I do when I wake up or get out of bed preferably is uh, have a cup of tea. And then probably have another one straight away afterwards. Really? And um, it's just a good way to start the day. I can't drink coffee, though. It makes me too edgy. I don't like coffee so much. Really? So I it, like the smell of it, and I love the taste of it, but it just makes me... It doesn't do, do me any favours.
1: I mean, it makes you sort of feel it stressed out? makes me
2: feel out? a little bit stressed out, yeah, and jittery. And I get moody as well if I drink too much coffee, mm. which you will have noticed.
1: I have noticed that.
2: I'm, I'm moody enough anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're drinking tea, and we drink... It's just most people don't think about what tea there is. I suppose it's black tea. Well, it's yeah. Indian tea. English
1: breakfast tea is what it's called. Yeah, but that's such yeah, a but no, t- no, English breakfast tea is a, 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 like a combination of lots of different types of black tea. It's a blended tea, yeah. It's a blend of different black teas. And um, how do we actually... So we, we put the bag in the in the mug. Some yeah.
2: people make a pot still. Yeah. But I think the majority of people probably just use one tea bag per cup. Right. And you um you just pour on hot water and there you go you got a cup of tea.
1: What well, the the water just has to be hot, boiling in donut. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously I know that, but a lot of I think people... people know how to make tea. No, they don't. Why do if people know how to make tea, why is it so difficult to get a good cup of tea in the way that we like to have it done when you're not in The country. Because I think other people don't have the association with the
2: generic kind of standard breakfast tea that we always take for granted. So So, I went to to to. Holland uh, uh, that's not called Holland anymore is it? I went to the the Netherlands, Amsterdam and I asked for a cup of tea and they're kind of like what kind of tea do you want?
1: And I kind of felt like saying, well, just tea. Exactly. That's the point I'm making, is that uh, people don't know how to make tea in the way that we do. I'm not saying that they do it wrong. They just do it in a different way. So when you ask for a cup of tea, then they don't know exactly what you mean. So, you know, when you said, they, I think they know how to make a cup of tea, I think they don't, Well, actually. they do. Well, it's they know how to make a cup of tea of in their doing. way. They don't necessarily know how to make a cup of tea in our way. Whereas if you, and that's go the to, point.
2: if you go to a cafe in England and ask for a cup of tea, they just go, yep. And give you a cup of tea. Yeah,
1: you know exactly what it is.
2: It's standard black breakfast tea.
1: Okay, but uh, there's more to it than that because it's has to be brewed with boiling hot water because when I get tea here in France, what they do is they give you a metal container full of hot water but the water is not boiling. Because once it's
2: off out of the kettle, it's no longer boiling.
1: Yeah, so it has just... to be piping hot, boiling water poured directly onto the <laughs> onto the bags containing the leaves. It's true, isn't it? <laughs> it is true, but we're getting diverted already. Well, from... I, that's that's fine. That's part of the, the purpose of the this joy, episode. The really. joy of the podcast. That this is um, a, a sort of rambling general chat that we're having uh here in the flat because uh, you visited me in in paris yes i'm here in paris it's great thanks for having me what have we been doing then let's
2: see on the first night we uh just sat around and chatted and caught up yep. we had a catch-up session we caught up with our, our each other's news mm-hmm. uh we had a was that
1: what did we have the first night to eat was that we shepherd's had, um um yeah we had shepherd's pie yeah. I think we, we did. We had a shepherd's pie, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> well, neither of us can remember that far away. But it was, uh, yeah, it was shepherd's pie. Well, we had dinner.
2: And then the next day, we had a little stroll around town. Didn't we look at the main uh, sort of tourist areas, I suppose? Well, we first of all, we went to a record shop, didn't we?
1: Yeah, because uh, you'd identified a few different places that you wanted yeah, to visit. Before I left, I just
2: sort of randomly thought, well, I wonder if there's some record shops nearby. Uh, because it's... It's just something I like to do. And it's a way of walks.
1: <laughs> Learn to speak your own language. You've only been in France three days. It's a, you way, fa- it's a way of
2: exploring a city. If you find places you want to go, it's not all about the destination. It's about the journey.
1: And also visiting record shops is just a good way of sort of exploring the town. That's what I just said. Is it? He said it's not about the destination; it's about the anyway. Just before that, I said All it's right. a
2: good way of exploring stuff. Okay, but so anyway, I went to the record shop and we went to what was it called? I love vinyl. No, it's Groove Disc. Groove Disc? I think it's called Groove Disc. No, Groove. Should Shack. we check? Groove. It doesn't. It's
1: not important. Well, they might want to visit it. Uh, well, maybe. The bag's here. Let me just check. Okay, he's got his bag with the with the vinyl in it. Oh, whoops! It's called Groove that. Store. Groove store, and
2: it's quite a small vinyl-only record shop um, Mm
1: -hmm. north of here. All right, good. Everyone knows where that is now. (laughs) Luke's in kind of central-ish. Don't explain where I live. Because I don't want all the fans to be camped outside the the doorstep. It'd be like the Beatles all over
2: again. I can't do the accent. Yeah, was that a Beatles accent? It was supposed to be like a Beatle accent. It sounded more like a mank. It did, didn't it? I find that quite easy to slip into that one, man.
1: Uh, but anyway, you've I've been got having to it... think and turn... Think I'm ring... <laughs> is this you trying to do a Beatles impression? Ladies and gents, this is my. You do it. You're better. This at is my brother trying to do it. a you, Beatles impression. You do impression. your Ringo. Uh, Ringo Starr sort of speaks a little bit like this, doesn't he? And then and then we all ended up standing on our heads, I think. You know, that sort of thing. Peace and bloody love. Peace and love. Um anyway, so okay, so you've, we visited record shops and we did some tourist stuff, and right? I bought
2: some records, which is nice. Okay. Some very strange-looking sort of soul and sort of jazz fusion. Jazz fusion soul stuff. And a Red Fox comedy Album. This is a uh, comedy kind of, album by an American comic. It's a New York, kind of very rude, I think. I've never actually heard any of his stuff. I think he's extremely filthy uh, yeah. American black comic that does quite edgy material. Yes. But I've never really heard his stuff, and I've never seen any of his records. So when I saw one for three euros, I thought, I'll give that a go. That. I like unusual weird records that you don't normally see. So if I see something, well, I bought a gospel record, which I've never done before. Okay. But it just had a weird kind of cover, and I just thought, I wonder what that sounds like. Mm. and when it's three euros hey you know it's not it's not a huge amount of money
1: do you think you can judge a record by its cover because they say don't judge a book by its cover but uh, can you judge a record by its cover do you think
2: i don't know but i do anyway i think you can you can i mean i like a lot of these i watch sort of videos about people collecting records and making tunes out of them and stuff yeah. sampling and things yeah. like that and quite often they say look at this cover it's got to be good Especially when you're dealing with old 70s obscure records that you've never heard of. Yes. And certain people say things like, um, if there's a blonde girl on the cover, it's good. Really? I've heard Adrian Young say that. He said, from my experience, all those cheesy 60s and 70s kind of compilations and stuff. He said, blonde girl on cover equals there'll be something good on it. It's just a stupid little... Okay. Okay. Because I th- funny kind of, thing. I kind of think I know. And also, not the other one is if there's if there are a band that's mixed race, as in some of them are black, some of them are white, some of them are like Asian or something. Yeah. it's got to be good because the, this guy Adrian Young again said there's got to be some reason why these guys got together. Yes, they're probably not from the same neighborhood or not from the same. They might be, but there's there's some reason why these guys had to get together and do this. And you mean normally- that the, the, they would never have mixed? Um- well, Unless they were in a band, you mean? Well, you don't know. It just means they've all
1: been brought together like the band is by so the funk. The, band the is funk so has dragged them together. It's so good that it's bypassed any sort of weird racial, ethnic uh, segregation that there was in the community. But <laughs> like the music was so good, it's like broken all the boundaries and crossed all barriers. Yeah, and it probably means, you know,
2: if, if it's all like black guys and one white guy, he's got to be pretty good.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Either that or he's the guy with the studio, <laughs> he's the one who had all the money. But now a lot of the bands that I like are, are, are sort of mixed race. You get you know sort of people from different backgrounds in the band, yeah, and you get a good mix. Yeah, that's right. But I was going to say that I think I can judge a record by its cover because you know that certain uh, forms of music they 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 tended to be good around a certain year oh, with a certain definitely. sort of spirit around them, and also obviously you check the back cover and see the musicians if you check the date and the the musicians who played on the album, and also the producers, then that can be a pretty good certainty of what the record will be like.
2: Yeah, there's lots of clues. And uh, the date is definitely important. Pretty, pretty much anything was recorded date? between... Hang on, I'm in the middle of a sentence right, here. Right. Anything recorded between 1966 and 1974 no, it's really good.
1: Later than that, it's okay. 76 yeah, is but disco
2: starts creeping in.
1: Some of the best stuff comes from 76... 77 is a bad year.
2: Yeah. Well, anything from 66 to 76, let's say, is a a pretty good... That's uh, really
1: the sweet period for music. And it's hard to find anything from that period that isn't good. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure there must be some, but uh, yeah. Anyway, so we did some record shopping and also a bit of tourist stuff by walking down. Do you remember where we went in Paris?
2: We went down to the river. We went to near the Louvre, although we didn't go inside it. We sort of stood near the... um, the v- what's that big street called that you can see all the way the down? Champs Elysee. Champs elysees quite a famous street. You think I'd remember that? Yeah. Um, had a look at the Louvre. Had a look at some of the tourist sort of the architecture, shall we say? Mm-hmm. And just soaked up the atmosphere. It was quite nice and sunny, and we were just chatting and walking a lot, really. And we didn't fancy getting the subway or the metro. Yeah. We and walked
1: uh, about twelve and a half kilometers on Wednesday. Yeah, quite a good walk, wasn't it? Very nice. I like a good walk. Yeah, me too. All right, then, so um, impressions of, of Paris? Um,
2: it's, I mean, I've been here before, but it's um, It's very different to London. How? It's Because it's. there's no new buildings or very few new buildings compared to London, which mm. has come to be constantly rebuilding itself, London. They're always knocking bits down and rebuilding new bits and trying to cram as much in as possible. But Paris kind of feels like it was done, designed, built. And it's kind of finished now. Mm. And um, the buildings are very old, all of them. It's got a very similar feeling throughout it that there's not a huge difference in the feeling you get from area to area compared to London, which is such a mess. It's very different from Mm. area to area. Mm -hmm. Um, And also the kind of suburbs are part of the city in London. London's like a big collection of villages that are all joined together. Mm. Whereas Paris feels a bit more planned out as mm. a whole mm. um and i think people are sort of a bit more sophisticated and it's a more of an upper class vibe um lots of well-dressed people swanning around sipping coffees and um it's a bit like uh a, a, the the posher areas of west london mm-hmm. but extended throughout a larger
1: area yeah i think places like south kensington chelsea mayfair they are the the sort of places that are as close to Paris as London gets, and but
2: I think Paris does it with a bit more style. Yeah, West London's a bit mm, tacky. It's a bit um, what's uh, kind of it's a little
1: suburban in some places.
2: Yeah, but there's also lots of these big car showrooms and very expensive hotels and kind of very mm. obviously ostentatious rich people swanning around. Whereas right. in France I think they're a little bit more cool about it
1: yeah they pull it off with a bit more class a bit more style okay um, but
2: yeah it's it's different I'm I am can see how it would be a nice place to live because it's fairly easy to get around mm. um, if you're lucky enough to live you know in the town you're you're probably quite easy to get everywhere you yeah, want to get you can to.
1: walk around it quite easily and uh, you can cycle around it's pretty good yeah and it's also there's the shops are a
2: bit more boutique here.
1: Lots of individual little lots of chain, unique shops. There's lots of
2: chain shops in London. It I noticed less big branded chain shops here. Mm. Um, I think the French don't go for that as much of as the British obviously have taken to it. Don't I know. don't know. Or maybe it's been artificially kept that way by the...
1: If you went to the Champs-Elysées, you'd see lots of the big branded shops really? maybe like we've H&M just, and We've Gap just avoided and those areas. We did pretty much. Okay. yeah, Okay. Um, but... Um, Yes, I find that Paris is smaller than London. It makes it a little easier to get around. But also, the, me- the thing you mentioned about London being all these villages all connected together, Paris is definitely one sort of... Uh, you definitely know when you're in or out. There's a very clear distinction between mm. being in Paris and being out of Paris. And that b- sort of borderline, as it were, is kind of important for the characteristic of the place. It feels like you're, you've are you been let into a nightclub and, and, <laughs> and uh, the nightclub has a dress code and that as you 're going around paris you 're kind of in this big huge grand theft auto style nightclub, and um people will kind of judge you, and everyone is like you know dressed up kind of nice and there 's lots of bars outside on the street and things like that it's really it 's really nice, but in London you never get that sense of being either in or out of the city it 's just this one sprawling big mess sort of mess and it's very hard to tell where london ends
2: i mean yeah it's sort of the, it's always expanding and you get to the edges and it just becomes a bit shitty it's <laughs> not like you're now leaving london it's just like here's the extended suburbs yeah. of london yeah, which yeah. is probably the same for paris as well i don't know i it's, haven't been to the suburbs in paris
1: it's uh it's a fascinating place but you do get in paris you know when you're not in paris anymore because you've crossed over a big road the boulevard périphérique which is like a big sort of dual carriageway. And then on the other side, it definitely just doesn't feel like Paris. And the, the street, the, the road signs are different. And, you know, it's a different municipality and, and yeah. all that sort but of thing. But also
2: they built all their estates and social housing outside Paris. Yeah, they, they did. in London, they're incorporated into London, probably because of the war. Because we got bombed so heavily in London. There are lots of gaps. There was lots of bomb sites where they, ne- in the 50s, built social housing. Mm-hmm. So they've got lots of blocks of flats in London. And it probably means a wider mix of people are in London. Yeah. You get poor people right next door to rich people in London. Whereas in Paris, you get the impression that everyone's rich, basically.
1: Yeah, kind of. And then of. on
2: these, the further you go out, the less money people have. That's right. And Whereas in London, it's it's not completely mixed up, but there's a lot more mixture, I'd yeah, say, because of the social housing in, yeah. in the sit ci- in the
1: cities. It's true. It's it's amazing London because you can be at one one end of one street and everything's very posh and safe feeling, and you go to the other end of the same street and it's all suddenly a lot weirdly dangerous and everything. Yeah, a, like, a lot
2: of the social housing they built has got a weird vibe to it because it's brutalist 60s and 50s architecture. They didn't always get it right. So some of the uh, social housing can feel quite intimidating. Yes. yes. And it, uh,
1: there's lots of little dark corners and stuff. and Yeah. It's like scenes from A Clockwork Orange or it's something. It's very Clockwork Orange in yeah. places. Mm. That gives London some character because there are little these little spots with these old 60s buildings and you get a, a slightly moody feeling there. But it's interesting. Um, it's, it's, yeah. Now... Uh, You did your first ever stand-up gig on Wednesday evening. How was that? I was kowtowed into doing it. That's a good word. No, you weren't kowtowed into doing it. Okay, I was was encouraged,
2: heavily encouraged to do it by Luke uh, because I'm always saying, oh, I bet if I did stand-up comedy, I'd be brilliant. No, I haven't really. (laughs) I didn't really say that. But it's quite easy to get carried away and start suggesting material and saying, hey, why don't you do it like this? And your kind of response has been politely. Well, if you think you're so good at it, why don't you try it yourself? Yeah. Uh, So he kind of signed me up for this uh, open mic night which is where it's an open mic. Uh, you can go and as long as you put your name down at the start, you can do your five-minute slot and en- anyone's welcome.
1: It's completely open. Any- what's
2: the name of this open night?
1: The open mic night, night in Paris is called Comedians Anonymous and it's, it takes place at the Pan Am Art Café, which is at 14 Rue Fontaine-au-Roy. Details are available online. The details are available on my website. If you click on in the menu on the button that says uh, Comedy Shows, I think, mm-hmm. then you'll see the address of the Pan Am. And every Wednesday at 8 p.m. here in Paris, there is an open mic night. And if you feel like you're funny or if you feel like you've got some funny things to say, you can just go along, be there half an hour before the show begins, sign up your name, and... Um, no, it's at 7. It's actually at 7 o'clock, not at 8. <laughs> okay. Anyway, go down by 6.30, sign up, and then you get five minutes to try and be funny and stuff. And uh, So you went on on Wednesday. How was it?
2: Well, I was very nervous beforehand. I couldn't really concentrate on the other acts very much because I was kind of thinking, oh, God, I've got to stand up there now and try and be funny. I had worked out some material, but I hadn't spent very long on it. It had been little notes I'd taken while on the bus or the train or something, and I would kind of thought, "Oh, well, maybe I can do this. I rehearsed it a couple of times and recorded myself doing it, mm-hmm. as I did for your Best Man speech. Yeah. So I kind of tried to base it on that experience. But in the end, I didn't really think the material was that great. I think some of it has potential to be better. Yeah. But I wasn't overly confident in the material. What? And I think when it came down to it, I was was quite nervous. I rushed through it a bit. I was kind of trying to remember it so I wasn't really engaging with the audience. I was kind of looking down a bit and feeling a bit self-conscious and I think I went through it all quite quickly and maybe didn't linger on the bits that you should linger on.
1: So what do you think about trying to make people laugh then on stage as, a, as, just a, as someone who'd never done it before? What's I, your... you
2: know I can definitely have more respect for people who can be so relaxed in front of an audience. Hmm. Uh, I didn't feel at all relaxed. I felt <laughs> like just get this over with. It's only five minutes. I don't think I even made five minutes. That I. I made about four, four and a half. Minutes. Yeah, so I should have slowed down a bit, and it would have been five minutes. If
1: you'd slowed down, taken your time, and looked at the audience and tried to talk to us as people. Yeah, because uh, instead you you look like you kind of were staring into the middle distance. Well, I was <laughs> reciting the material, not in really connecting with us. And I watched the video back, and I do look quite scared. <laughs> Yeah, you look fearful. You look like a, a rabbit in the headlights. Oh, thanks. No, so, it was, it was um, all right. What did you talk about in your set? Um,
2: I did a bit about we're in the future, as in it's 2016. If you look back from when you were a kid, 2016 would have seemed like amazingly futuristic date. Yeah, I never yeah. really even thought we'd get here, you know. Mm. When it was 1985 and I was 10, I certainly didn't think, oh, I wonder what I'll be doing in the year 2016. Yeah. It just seemed impossibly futuristic yes
1: yes it's true so i did
2: a little bit about that and it was kind of semi funny about um well i won't do it all now but no did a bit about the future and what's is the future what it was cracked up to be like, All it's cracked up to be like are there any flying cars no are there hoverboards yes but they don't hover And they're crap. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is Biff the president, like in Back to the Future? Yes. No, but there's this guy called Donald Trump who's quite similar. Yeah, he's basically just like Biff. And he must have had an almanac. That's the only explanation. Yeah. And then I did... I forgot a bit as well. Yes. Did I forget to say the bit about putting on a bet? Uh, You did. I forget to say it. did I? The bet. I said that I might put a bet on uh, Donald Trump to win the American elections. Because on the one hand although it will mean countdown to Armageddon and the end of days, on the other hand, I might win 45 quid.
1: Yeah. Okay. So as and, it's then, not and then you did some stuff about Facebook and some I other did things. some stuff about
2: Facebook and being very needy and demanding your attention like a sort of needy ex-girlfriend or something like that. Like
1: because Facebook's always sending you these little notifications, like, remember when we used to hang out? And yeah. like, look, I made you a video.
2: Yeah etc yeah so i think the material was so so uh the delivery was bad um <laughs> and but in the end i was just glad to have got through it and not have panicked and run off halfway through or wet my tra- trousers or yeah that would um, be embarrassing it could have
1: been funny you seeing you wet your trousers actually on stage. <laughs> Just stand there and watch as it oh. freckles down. <laughs> 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 this warm feeling in your underpants. So you look down. No, and then oh when I finished just oh God, silently
2: walk away from the stage. Yeah, no, that would no, have been it, worse. It, it could have been worse. I was just glad that I didn't cop out, basically. Because beforehand, I was saying to Luke, look, I don't think I'm going to do it. I'm not confident enough. I don't think it's funny enough. And you were saying, yeah, you, you are. You're going to do it. No you're, you're it. no, you're doing it. No, you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that. So I think if I'd had. Really protested and said, no, I, I don't want to do it. I would have felt bad. Yes. I would have felt like, a, you know, a cop-out. Right. So I'm glad just that I did it because I said I'd do it and I did it, but that's about it.
1: Okay, are you going to do it again?
2: Uh, I'm not in a great rush to do it again, but it's un- undeniably, it makes you, you start thinking about material more. Like when we finished, we were all talking about, hey, what about if you did that bit and extended that bit? You know, with yeah. you're talking to the other comedians. Yeah or the other wannabe comedians, yeah, and saying, "Oh, I like that bit. Why don't you do it like this?" And you can see why that be quite inf- how that could be quite infectious. Yes, the idea of thinking of ideas and trying to make mm. them as funny as possible, and how would you deliver that line?
1: Yeah, every single idea becomes the basis for a new piece of comedy. Um, okay, and then uh, and then it was my show with Paul last night. You were in the audience. It was brilliant,
2: really, really funny, and you had a big group in from a. Uh, what are they? So we had a big company that does quality of life services,
1: and the joke was: well, I'll let Luke explain. So we had in in our show uh, last night, uh, the room was booked out, and it was the most of the people were as were part of a large group from a company called Sodexo, and I, I neither me or Paul knew what Sodexo did. So just before the show started, we googled it on his phone. And we discovered that all we learned was that Sodexo did quality of life services. And so I still didn't know. And then I had to go on stage. And in the show at the beginning, I talked to the audience in order to warm up the show. And I make fun of the audience and make and just talk to them and base the comedy on what they're saying. And I try and you know turn it into something funny in response. And usually when there's a group from a company, you can start to make fun of the company. Either you talk about... Who you know, the different jobs that they do. Or you you pick on the boss. They love that if you start picking on the boss. Or you pick on the company or you pick on the competitors of that company. Yeah. And so Sodexo quality of life services. I I went through pretty much the entire one hour gig talking to the audience about Sodexo. I still didn't know what they did by the end of the the show. But it was a lot of fun making fun of them. I, I don't know how many like jokes and comments i managed to get about them
2: it was very funny and um i think the thing is when you're in a company like that there's always the pressure to to like your company and to be respectful about it and do the right thing and to be diplomatic yes but when someone comes on stage and just takes the piss and starts going fucking hell what do you actually do
1: (laughs) it's like a release valve for people who they can laugh at their own company they were laughing a lot and i was really getting stuck into what sodexo was uh, quality of life services. And I was like, you know, so you just try and make stuff better. Okay. How long have you been, how long has the company been around? They're like, and they were like 50 years, like 50 years, you need to work harder. Cause you know, life, life isn't, has not been, you know, going up uh, that much since you came in. You had to be there basically, didn't you? You had to be there. Yeah, But, but it was Luke a funny show. and his
2: friend Paul are very, very, very funny. And they look really relaxed on stage. they got great rapport with the audience. And um, I was very impressed. And I was also impressed by Paul's video, which he went online. You should link to that.
1: Yeah, I've talked about that a bit already. I'm going to have Paul on the podcast to talk about how he made that video and also how it's sort of changed a lot of things for him because I had him on the podcast in the summer and he just quit his job at Apple. At Apple. In order to go into comedy. And he went to the Edinburgh Festival and had a really hard time.
2: Is that his full-time
1: job now? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he does. That's brave. He does uh, shows pretty much every night of the week. And he's, he's got his own solo show. He
2: did a little gig in Belgium recently. Or a he, fairly big gig in Belgium, yeah, actually. Yeah. And um, he was saying that went really well and he got paid. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, yeah good for him. But so. he's multilingual as well, isn't he? Which really helps. He is. Um, so he can do little riffs in Spanish, French whatever he's quite good at accents so mm-hmm. it's good for a european mixed bunch Absolutely. like the, the crowd that we're in last night there was quite a lot of um different countries represented
1: yes that's right we had loads of different people so that was a really really good fun gig um definitely yeah well impressed well impressed I'm glad that you were there it was it was nice for you to be able to see me on stage
2: it was very funny and the funniest stuff was like you say at the start where you were kind of riffing on uh, the the sedexo. Brand and what the hell they do,
1: mm. making fun of them,
2: and they were laughing. I was what I was looking around at the audience, trying to see if they were all getting it. And the first couple of lines, some of them were a bit resistant. You know, sometimes you get the kind of cool guy in the room doesn't like someone mm-hmm. being the other cool guy for once, and yeah. they get a bit moody. But you broke them, <laughs> you wore them down. I broke, I broke everyone. <laughs> no, but within a few lines, that everyone was laughing. Right. So it was, it was a success.
1: Yeah, I, I mean. Um sometimes I look at the audience as they come into the room mm. and I'm sort of like oh bloody hell I've got, I've to, got make, to make this guy laugh I've got to make this guy laugh and yeah. it's like some big serious looking bloke in big a suit cheese in
2: a flash suit with uh-huh. a and all that you can also find in companies the guys that are quite high up in the company everyone laughs at their shit jokes yeah because they're yeah. the boss have you ever noticed in an office when the boss makes a joke everyone cracks up even if it's lame as hell mm. So the boss will go, Oh, well I'd never <laughs> and everyone's like, ha ha, God, you're funny. Please don't <laughs> sack me. Please give me a promotion. Um,
1: so it's quite weird. They probably think they're naturally really funny guys mm, yeah. when they're just the boss. That's right. And and what happens is the boss comes in and as you're on stage in front of them, you find out who the boss is. You you it's like, you know, tar- target and destroy. It really is. Because you're like, okay, who's the boss? And they point at the boss, and then you are like, and then you say to everyone, "Right, so good boss, is silence, he a good is silence. he a good boss?" And there is usually like silence or something, and and you can go, ooh, they don't like you, mate. They don't like you. You need to, you know, think up think have a change. You might need to change the way you, you deal with stuff." And uh, anyway, you can just sort of get stuck into them. For some reason, on stage in front of people, you get all this adrenaline, and it allows you to come up with, you know really kind of quite funny and in and cutting remarks yeah when you're there in the moment
2: it's obviously funnier when something's spontaneous as well Mm -hmm. when rehearsed material can seem a bit like you're plowing through an act yeah which can be great not you personally but just all comics Mm. and a lot of comics you notice as they get on and in their years and they start to get good with the crowd they'll move away from their rehearsed material as much as possible until it's almost like a backup plan mm-hmm. as their routine is their backup, but they try and do the spontaneous crowd work stuff for as long as possible. Yeah, um, And that's a mark
1: of a really good comic, I think, when they can hold the whole crowd without any material actually yeah. Yeah, that yeah. they've written down. Yeah. I think a good comic needs to have funny bones. There needs to be something funny about the, yeah. the physicality and the, the mannerisms of the person. Uh, a good comic also needs to be able to write good material and write for the stage you know like you can tell good comics because they come up with ideas and write them down on paper in and they know the kinds of rhythm and beats and everything yeah. that is needed to make the audience laugh they can just feel it in their heads
2: i mean there are so, i've heard it said before there's certain comics that are so good with the delivery and they've got the crowd on their side you can say a line that isn't actually funny there's mm. no joke in there but if you say it in the right way people will laugh anyway yeah in the right Tempo
1: and the right attitude. Yeah, attitude, the attitude that you use when you you're saying things will contextualise the statement, mm. and therefore make it mean two things at the same time because it's it's in context. So if you've got a strong attitude on stage, then that can sort of really bring a new dimension to even things that aren't jokes, like you said. Yeah. Um, okay, it's really interesting. But if you're in Paris, ladies and gents. Then I'm going to recommend a few shows that you could go to. There's lots of comedy in English now in Paris. And in fact, if you're not in Paris, uh, there, are, there there may well be comedy shows in English happening in, in a town near you. In many places in the world, I know that they do stand up in, in all sorts of spots now. Uh, so check it out. You know, go online and search for the you know the city or town that you work in and search for you know comedy or stand up comedy in English in the in the place where you are. You might find some things. You might be surprised. And there's, there's a good scene. So in Paris, let's see, Wednesday night, seven o'clock at the Pan Am. It's Comedians Anonymous. That's the open mic night. Um, and then Thursday evenings, that's the show that I do with Paul called Sorry We're English. That's on at eight o'clock now every Thursday. So there's shows in Paris that you can see, which no one will come and see because about 99.9% of the people I'm talking to don't live in Paris but if you come to Paris then you know there's lots of things to do um right now news what's been going on you've been following the news haven't you
2: uh, I've got a, a few bit. stories Although here that
1: we could um, it's depressing talk about. isn't it
2: reading Is it? the news i find it pretty, pretty depressing these days
1: what's the most depressing thing you've seen in the
2: news recently just the conservative party in this country tearing the country apart oh, for profit
1: careful bit of pol- bit, <laughs> bit of, of politics. politics that's there. ben elton a little bit of politics A bit of politics there. So um, there's probably going to be a a referendum on Europe this year in the UK. Oh, God. Why do they want to leave Europe? Because um, some people in in the country, Eurosceptics, think that the UK would just be better off out of Europe because it would mean that we could control a lot more of our immigration and it would also mean that we'd be able to...
2: But the point is, the immigration that's going to go up is not European immigration. It's Immigration Mm -hmm. from other places. Mm -hmm. European immigration isn't a problem.
1: Yeah, I think they think that... uh,
2: I'm personally, I don't know, but I'm not anti-immigration. And I think the free movement of people throughout Europe is a very nice thing. You can work here in Paris. No one's stopping you. No one's saying, no, go home. But I think it's... I mean,
1: you know, it's... I think it's that if the European Union decides to let a certain number of refugees into the European Union, then the UK has to accept them too. That's the point, that the decisions are being made in Brussels rather than in England or in the UK or something. So people just want, you know, they want more control, they want fewer immigrants. Um, And uh, there are other things too, like the fact that Britain has to pay money to the European Union and things like that. I, you know, personally, I find it, convenient that we 're in the European Union, and I think we 're all better together, but you know who knows because there are lots of big things happening in Europe that could uh, you know cause the european union to to break up but I think if the u k left it would be a big big uh blow to the european union and i and I wonder if it wouldn't then break up after that, but also people but are i don't sa- think it's going to happen, but it's people are be saying a load of fuss and And spin it's well it's all spin to make the tories look like they're trying to do something proactive i don't know that that people also are saying that if the uk doesn't uh, leave that the eu will break up in a year and a half anyway so there's all these sorts of things going on but then the actual details of the of the referendum and the deal is is this that there are uh, factions in the Conservative Party, and also there's this other party which is Eurosceptic, UKIP, and they are getting quite a lot of support among Eurosceptics in the UK. And so the Conservatives feel that they have to do something in order to satisfy that side of the the political spectrum. And so what David Cameron has tried to do is go into Europe and renegotiate our agreement with them. Right? The point for the point, the reason why he's done that is because he wants. Uh, I think he wants the UK to vote to stay in the European Union and he's making it look like he's renegotiated the deal so that it's a choice between leaving the European Union or staying with these renegotiated terms. Now people are criticising the terms as being not good enough and there's all this stuff about there's like three different things you know. They'll end
2: in a compromise as it always does and nothing
1: will happen. But there's a good chance that the the people of the UK will choose to leave Europe. No they won't. Really? You really think so? Have you read any It depends U- on uh, what Murdoch's
2: take on it is. Mm. Cuz Rupert Murdoch controls the politics in our country, sadly. Well, not all of it, but Well, a they have of it. a big influence over a lot of media. How? Well, he owns most of the newspapers.
1: Well, he owns the Sun and he owns the Times. The Times, they're the two the biggest, newspapers. The biggest. The Sun is the biggest. He also
2: owns thing. the Metro, the Standard, mm-hmm. and quite a lot of smaller newspapers so why would because their angle on it can sell an angle to the general yeah. population
1: like if rupert murdoch like,
2: remember the day before the sorry the day before the general election the front page of the sun was just something like vote labor and the country's destroyed or something yeah. something really really blunt yeah uh, or something or something more basic than that vote labor and you'll be losing a grand a year out of your own pocket or something right. you know they always bring it down to you'll be worse off yes under labor that the, the, the labor are going to take your money away from you mm. and mm. the tories are the party of low tax and um let's kick out the <laughs> So <laughs> which it's... plays to the the lowest
1: common denominator stupid humans in the country yeah um i Certainly, The Sun has got a lot of influence over people. And and if Rupert Murdoch or whoever is in charge of of The Sun decides that they're going to back the conservatives or back certain thing, then it'll have a big effect. Like, for example, that's one of the reasons why Tony Blair won in 1997, because The Sun got behind him. And then he won. And then they came out with a headline like uh, a couple of days after he won. And the headline was, it was The Sun what won it? Yeah, meaning the son took credit for winning the election for him. But the thing is, with the Sun, they all they want to do is back the winner. So they will. Mm.
2: You could say they reflect popular opinion rather than influence okay. it. Okay, yeah. that's one argument because you'll find they always want to be on top. Whatever the winning party is, they will slowly align themselves to that. They
1: just want to sell papers. They just want to sell papers and make money. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, that's what's happening in the UK. It's messy. If if the UK does leave Europe, then the UK might break up too, because Scotland might want to leave the UK. Well, they had a referendum on that, and Scotland voted to stay in. But they could have another referendum um, if they wanted to but
2: i had a feeling that they weren't going to allow scotland to leave i mean did you see all the politicians from all the parties went up and did big things why you shouldn't leave the uk Mm. and all the newspapers were supporting staying together and one guy i saw put on something like a fifth no something like a hundred grand bet that the uk wouldn't leave and when asked about and he won he only won about four thousand no it was very low margin, but he won a significant amount of money, like mm. 10 grand or mm. something. Maybe it was 10 to 1. Yeah. And they said, why did you risk all that money? Because he said, I'm, I was 99% sure that it was a sure thing that the country would come together to convince people not to leave the UK. Mm. And he was right, and he won 10 grand.
1: Okay. All right. So, you're going to put money on the UK staying in Europe? I might do. I'm, never, I'm not a gambler,
2: though, so I probably won't bother. But... Um, you Depends think what the odds are.
1: I think it's that sure. I, I don't think it's that sure. I've seen some polls. I don't
2: know anything about the EU situation. I haven't really been following it, so I wouldn't put a bet on the that. The
1: polls one, right. are very close. They're about 50 50. A lot of people want out. Well, maybe I'll. That's quite good odds then. Maybe I will put a bet on. 50 50? It's not very good. It's not very good odds, is it? Well, it's, well, it's well one it, in if two. I
2: think I'm right, mm. then it's quite good odds because mm. my odds so. would be higher to, in favour. more. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Know? I'm not going to put a bet on. No,
1: lots of stuff going on in politics. We we probably should uh, it's boring and depressing. Avoid it really. There's also the American situation with uh, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton and all that stuff. I really don't understand the whole Trump thing. What it's a nutter! A, isn't it? In, isn't it incredible that he's so popular? But it's crazy. Yeah. Well, Americans, come on. What's the deal? Can you explain? Hmm. I wonder how much of it is because people really agree with his policies or how much of it is because he's just a news story. He's just fun to to watch. Scary, but, you know, he's got some entertaining quality to him.
2: And also but- it's been proved people lie in um, pre-polls mm-hmm. because they like to do a protest vote. So when they're asked before the election, how are you going to vote? A lot of them go for a more radical uh, outsider right because they want to give the impression or maybe they believe that they're going to go for a different option but when it comes down to it and they're in the, the booth they actually play it quite safe yeah and a lot of elections are predicted to go to and one extreme and when it comes down to it people are
1: actually more conservative than they indicate so it could be trump versus clinton and if that is their case then i think that a lot of people will play it safe and vote clinton you would have thought I think
2: so when it comes down to it people there'll be a lot of scaremongering if it does come to that kind of race at the end mm. all the press will go into overdrive because they'll be quite scared. I don't th- does anyone want Trump in? Is there lots of business leaders that want I Trump don't in? No, there must be a lot. Because surely of it would be such a, a risky move. Mm. A lot of them would say well this this guy's a real like outsider. I think that you outsider.
1: Know, if we're talking about corporate interests then I imagine that they would be backing Clinton. I guess so. I think she's quite sort of friendly with a lot of uh, I don't these know, companies. but I'd like
2: to think that if it came that close to the wire the media would go into overdrive and actually realize bloody hell we can't let this guy win. Mm. I hope. I don't know what the situation is. I yeah, haven't been following you it. You never very know, closely. but
1: you know, America might, you know, as Trump moves even closer towards, you know, getting elected, America might just get more and more behind him. You know, it's a, who knows what can happen. It, it really all sorts of things could happen. He could now, you know, he's he may seem like a bit of a clown or something now, but like when we get a year down the line, he might suddenly um, become a lot more feasible for some reason. I mean, Ronald Reagan was in power for a yeah. long time, and he was basically now a cowboy. He was, a, he was an actor. He was like sort of uh, just some Hollywood actor and not even a great one. And he ended up being the, uh, the, the president. So this all sorts politics of things are possible. A lot of it is down to image, isn't it? Mm. Can you visualize this person
2: as your president? You know, and that's what it comes down to. Does he fit? Does his face fit? I think it's got to be Clinton. I would put my money on Clinton.
1: I just have,
2: I just can't see middle America voting for a lefty woman.
1: Yeah. And you know, also... She's,
2: they, they, she, by American standards, she's very left wing. Mm. She's not really, but by American standards she is. And I think there's a lot of middle America... America's bloody massive. Have you seen how big it is? Yeah. A lot of those people in the middle aren't part of that liberal left wing kind of writer's type person that writes mm. in the media, they're just silently seething probably most of the time. Yeah. And they, they're not going to vote for a, a liberal. Yeah, They don't like liberals.
1: No, apparently I, I read something that said that uh, when, when the incumbent party has been in, in office for two terms, yeah. it's almost impossible for a new candidate from that party to win the following election. You know, if the incumbent president was in... They may be business as usual. They would they'd stand a much in. better chance. But the only time Why is Bonimer not you're, you're, still you're, in the Because he can't run for two more than two terms. That's that's a rule in, in American constitutional law. Well that's cheap. Two stupid. max two term maximum. It's, so since, that's guaranteed short term, is it? Since since um one of the Roosevelt presidents was into in office for like three terms and he got sick and it was, you know, it was a problem because you know, if they stay in too long, it can be unhealthy in a way. No, I mean, it. <laughs> unhealthy on their stress levels. Yeah, that sort of thing. So he can't be president again. But if, um, yeah, so that's why. So, in a, in a sense, it's actually really hard for a Democrat to win because people vote for change. And I think that Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, to an extent, represent to America an alternative to the current political model i have to admit i don't know anything about bernie sanders is he more left wing he's, he's more left wing than clinton he's like really quite socialist for an american yeah and he's all about helping ordinary people and changing the political landscape Well, i saw his video and, and today cutting out the sort of corporate uh, connections that there are in politics
2: i saw his video today and it was all about the, the woman's story of i think it's the daughter of the guy that got strangled by police recently mm. one of them and uh the whole video was about that and you think well okay you're looking Mr sensitive but how is the president going to stop the police yeah. overreacting for yeah. things you can't s- tell every police officer in the country okay just calm down yeah he's getting a lot of
1: support he's got about half it, of the demo image votes.
2: though isn't it how can he possibly no, make I a policy no i don't think it is that,
1: image with him i think honestly that he he wants to no i make... just
2: meant this in, this particular video was all yeah, about image not very Objective. There
1: are lots of, he's done lots of videos, but um, he, I think, he genuinely is about you know introducing a lot more um, f- kind of fairness. He's all about standing up for the for the ordinary working class American. The healthcare voter. system and yeah, stuff. Is he's he pro. You know, he's pro into Obamacare, pro he- and all that. healthcare, uh, providing uh, education, uh, university education subsidies and grants, and you know for the whole left wing thing. Mm. Um, well, so I it's interesting. He, it's said, interesting. You've he got doesn't quite... look like a president though, does he? Looks a bit old. He does. Yeah, he looks like Larry David from uh, from Curb Your Enthusiasm, but even more frazzled. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he was in it for ideological reasons rather than really believing he had a chance to get power. But he's been getting a lot of support and a lot of. Um, um, votes or, you know, he's been doing very well. And he's it's kind of 50-50 between him and and Hillary Clinton. So it's very interesting. Mm. There's a very wide range of different opinions and things across the spectrum from Bernie Sanders on the left and Hillary Clinton, and then some of the Republican candidates, and then people like um, um, Ted Cruz and uh, uh, Donald Trump and Ben Carson and stuff on the right. So it's quite interesting. I wonder what's going to (laughs) happen. OK, well, I think we should stop talking about politics now because it's all getting a bit too serious and oh, a bit heavy. I did say it
2: was depressing.
1: Yeah. Uh, you, you, to be fair, you did actually say that. And then I asked you to tell me the most <laughs> depressing thing. Um, but I've, I've been looking through um, the papers and uh, I've got a few little stories that I noticed that could be quite uh, interesting. So what about Scotland Yard? You know, obviously, that, that's the headquarters of the police in London. Um now Scotland Yard has to deal with lots of new types of crime and terrorism as well. And apparently they're a bit worried about drones. Have you heard about this? Yeah. And what they've done, what they've decided to do is to train eagles, like eagles that fly, you know, the birds that fly in the sky, to train eagles to uh uh to take down drones. What do you think?
2: I saw the Dutch police. No, sorry. Yeah, it was the a Dutch, Dutch police from, force from the Netherlands. Were the first to do it, and they showed a video of a hawk taking down a drone. And I just thought, well, it's and at the end comes a big logo for the Dutch police department. You mm-hmm. just think it's a good PR exercise for the police force, really. Just makes them look cool, gets them in the news. Like we we can control eagles. Yeah, we're we're on top of this, guys. We're brilliant, we got it. Um, I had thought when I got a drone, I got a little mini one, tiny one, about two inches. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I was messing around with it, I was thinking, God, big ones are these. They'd be brilliant for terrorist atrocities, wouldn't they? Don't give anyone any ideas. <laughs> you know, perfect.
1: Just strap a bomb to it and fly it into something. Right, if you think about it, an eagle beats a drone, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what, in Top Trump? Like, yeah, if, like, the terrorists have got, ah, uh, you know, we've, we have drones now. And then the police are like, we've got eagles. You know, yeah,
2: I don't know. I don't think it's a big story. But I had thought, well, what's to stop you just flying one into the Houses of Parliament, for instance, not giving anyone what, an any eagle. ideas? Yeah, no, a drone. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, if this is a real story, then it's it's quite a good idea, I suppose. I mean, are they going to have any a uh, hawk on, on call at all times? Probably, yeah. It has to be pretty quick. It would be, yeah. I, I'm dubious. I mean, I remember... Do you remember the story Amazon was going to start delivering using drones? Yes. This was a new story. Bullshit. <laughs> it was absolute PR bullshit. And they knew that they were never going to deliver parcels with drones. And it was just to get the name Amazon, which I've done again, into the press. And everyone bought it. And everyone f- ran the story. Yeah. And it was on the BBC. It was on the, all the newspapers. All over YouTube. And I read it once. And I was like, that is just a lie. They might want to start using drones.
1: Sure, they can say that. We're going to look into start using drones to deliver parcels. No, you're not. Or they just It's just uh, not going to happen. They just have like a couple of locations where they can deliver with drones, and that's it, and then they can say that they deliver with drones. It just doesn't make sense. It's, it's BS, man. Yeah. Okay, here's another story. Have you ever seen a meteorite? Well, I've seen shooting stars. I suppose they're meteorites. What's the difference between a meteorite and a shooting star? A meteorite is something that hits the ground like a, a lump of rock that flies through the Earth's atmosphere from space whereas, and lands on the ground. Whereas shooting stars burn up in the atmosphere. Yeah, you see them at night. If you stare at the sky, you'll see like a, a line. I've a seen sh- some, some beautiful ones. Yeah. Uh, Steven Spielberg uses them in all his films. That's it? right. So that, that's shooting stars. But we're talking about meteorites. Well,
2: there's that one over Russia
1: a couple of years ago yeah Jesus the footage of that was insane huge burning ball of fire in the sky just
2: what
1: yeah but you've never seen one a meteorite yeah I've seen a shooting star yes many but times. have you seen a meteorite no Okay, they're very rare, I'd imagine, although, you know, people see them i I've seen one. What well, you've seen one hit the ground. I saw a meteorite coming down. I didn't see it hit the ground. Well you haven't
2: seen a wait meteorite. Wait a minute, then. by, wait, your, wait, by wait, your
1: wait a minute, wait a minute. I'll tell you what I saw. This was back in nineteen ninety something. I was standing outside with our friend Paul Breeze, and we were we were standing there looking out at the garden and just happened to be in the garden in the just dis- looking at the garden. Yeah. Really. In the distance we saw something pop down under the clouds. Right? It wasn't in the night sky. It was like it came down under the clouds and it had a trail of smoke behind it and it was burning. And it was a trail of smoke and it dropped down beyond our sight line. But it came down out of the sky, below the clouds, trail of smoke, burning ball, and then just dropped down sort of so below went, where we could see. So he went,
0: Oh, you know, man, did you see that, man? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it was uh, genuine. So anyway... Um, I found yeah. a story here which is which is entitled "Death by Meteorite." Imagine, imagine having such a bad day that you get hit by a meteorite. Well, quite a good way to go. At least, you know, it could be worse. Well, check this out. Right in in Velo, in India, a bus driver has re- has reportedly been killed by a meteorite. The first recorded death by falling fragments of space debris. Oh God, that's not a meteorite. For that's all, falling space for debris. All my, that is what. Well, deb- I thought a meteorite was a.
2: a a piece of rock or planetoid it's just debris from space that could be rock that could be
1: anything it's oh, just horrible. stuff a, I anyway hope he, it's, i hope
2: he sues nasa
1: no he's been killed i hope his family sues nasa <laughs> I hope he haunts nasa anyway the it's the first reported death by falling fragments of space debris for almost 20 uh, 200 years if confirmed. Well, what space debris was there to over 200 years ago then? Rocks in space. That's yeah, still space debris. So,
2: okay, well, I thought space debris meant like bits of satellites Like
1: human-produced yeah. waste. Not necessarily. So, according to local officials, the man uh, was in the grounds of an engineering college in the city of Velour in Tamil Nadu state when a small blue rock weighing no more than 10 grams, slammed into the ground near where he was standing, causing a loud explosion that blew out windows and killed him. Only It was blue, this rock, and it was only 10 grams. Where is the rock now? I d- well, I don't know. It doesn't say it in the article. Well, it's a very dodgy
2: story, if you ask me.
1: What? Well, I want to see the rock. Yeah, but it caused a huge explosion, this 10-gram rock, yeah. and it killed him. Um, and uh, so that's... It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> next, next. All right, I've got some other, other stories. If you just uh, bear with me, all right. Here's another one coming up, coming right up. Um, okay, so have you heard about silent discos? Yeah, I went to one once. Really? Not a proper one. It was a silent house party. What's what happened?
2: You get headphones given to you, and everyone's yeah. walking around in headphones, and there's music played through the headphones. But the weird thing was on this one, there was two channels. So you could choose sort of like one form music or another form music. Yeah. So everyone's, when you've got the headphones on, everyone's stomping around and you can't really hear anyone. And it's like being in a disco, but then you take them off. And that's the funniest thing when you're just walking around and everyone's go, you can just hear feet clomping around because people are dancing and people go and trying to talk without being able to hear themselves and shouting. (laughs) And it's just really stupid. Well, it's uh, a gimmick.
1: So that's silent discos where everyone goes to a disco, but instead of music playing through speakers, they have it in headphones and everyone's listening to the same it's thing. pretty silly. Pretty much. So uh, this, here's a story from Switzerland. A silent uh, disco was banned because it was too noisy. Is that what you think the story is? Yes. Why would it be too noisy? Because the feet stomping. Okay, let's see. So silent discos, which are where partygoers dance to music played through earphones, have been banned in the Swiss town of Lausanne, for being too noisy. Well done. Wee. Locals say that although the music is not broadcast on loudspeakers, the discos are not silent because revelers can't resist singing to whatever they're listening to, oh, yeah. creating a hideous off-key cacophony. It is
2: bad. You know when you sing when you've got headphones in, or yeah. it, you can't tell the pitch you're singing in. So every, you think you're singing in perfect key, and it's yeah, okay. louise Switzerland. I've got a mate who lives there. Really? Yeah, a Skeeter. Skeeter, a friend of a mine. Skater. <laughs> skater. I was just okay. doing it in the Californian accent. Right. Um, hello, Francois, if you're listening.
1: Yeah, hi, Francois. Which he you
2: won't be, because
1: he speaks better English than you or I, I think. Really? Or you or me. Yes, he, you or me. Yeah, he definitely does. Okay, here's another one. You might have heard about this story. The woman who... Okay, so th- this is a story of a woman who shocked her husband... By turning up at her memorial service days after he'd ordered hitmen to kill her, so In it, Venezuela or something. To imagine it. this situation, right? Uh, a woman has been has been killed, and this, the the um, the funeral is happening. Yeah, I got the premise. Of yeah, the story. and she turns up at the funeral, accusing the husband of having arranged assassins to kill her. Awkward. Yeah, really awkward. So Noella Rocundo lives in Australia, but she'd flown to Burundi for a family event. And lying in her hotel room one evening, her husband phoned and urged her to get some fresh air. When she stepped outside, she was bundled into a car and driven to a derelict building. Never a good thing, is it, really, when that happens? Not a good start. Have you ever been bundled into a car and driven to a derelict building? (sighs) Um... No. No, neither have I. Um, So there, her kidnappers took a call from her husband and put it on loudspeakers so she could hear him say, kill her. They told her that she was a fool to have trusted him, then gave her evidence to prove that he'd ordered the hit and let her go. She then flew back to Melbourne. Why did they let her go? I have no idea. I don't know why they did that, but they did. Maybe they didn't want to murder her. I don't know. But anyway, she then flew back to Melbourne and arrived uh um home to see mourners that's people mourning her death you know leaving her house and she said my husband put his hand on his head and said oh my god is it my eyes or is it a ghost and she said surprise I'm alive imagine that what a what I a I think we'll have to because I don't believe that story is true. You don't believe any of these things, do you <laughs> <laughs> all right let's move on to the next story. So um what do you think of mosquitoes? Little bastards. <laughs> do, do they like to bite you? Because they pro- uh, they like some people and don't like other people. I'm, do they like you? Yeah,
2: not. I don't know any more than anyone else. But they do bite my ankles when I'm in a very hot country. Yeah, so.
1: Do you ever have it when you're in bed and they, you, there's a mosquito in the room, and you hear it? you do that horrible horrible the bites really sting me as well
2: that i'm not resistant to them they itch itch a lot because i think some people if you're in the country for a long time you get kind of resistant to them but i'm not i'm a pale whitey and i
1: get very inflamed bites they get very itchy would you would you if you had the option would you just remove all mosquitoes from existence
2: no because you don't know what the knock-on effects might be there might be some animals that rely on mosquito larvae to survive Mm -hmm. and taking that food source away might completely upset the whole food chain
1: what's mosquito larvae or larva?
2: the sort of i don't know the juvenile form of a mosquito when it's growing
1: it's like a little sort of water it's like a little worm or a little thing isn't it sort of uh, a little thing (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a little thing. Very specific. But before, before a mosquito is a mosquito, they, they're like these wiggly little worms that live in the water.
2: I've got a better story about mosquitoes. Go on. In Thailand, there's this abandoned shopping mall I've seen on YouTube and uh, it's half submerged in water. Right. I think the rainwater's got in and the, the lower level is now underwater. Right. And it was a massive breeding ground for mosquitoes. Really? And it was causing a problem for the local residents. Mm. So someone introduced some carp koi carp yeah into the swimming pool yeah. which fed ravenously on this mosquito larva and they've bred yeah and now this shopping mall is full of carp really which live on the mosquitoes it's cut down the mosquito population massively yeah and there's this huge swimming pool kind of mall full of carp and so they it's fish really cool. the carp
1: and eat them yeah fantastic
2: i mean that's ingenuity isn't it so they live on the carp to keep the carp population down, and the carp population keeps the mosquito population. What a down.
1: weird thing! And it's all happening in and it's a, all
2: in an abandoned shopping mall. Very strange. You can probably find it if you look it up on YouTube. Mm. Um, quite easy to find. Okay. I think. I think it's an Australian guy that sort of blogged it or something. So you'd rather like sort of
1: grow a, a carp colony than than wipe all the mosquitoes yeah, out. Yeah, I like carp. I think they're quite beautiful fish. Yeah, well. they are, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's a story about mosquitoes and the possibility of us being able to wipe them out. Okay. Mm-hmm. The headline is: We can wipe out mosquitoes. So let's do it. Okay. And here, what publication was that for? This is in. Um. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Oh. Uh, which part of the paper Let is this guess, from? Let me guess, the metro. No, this is from the section of the week, which, yeah, is called, I know who originally... which is called It Must Be True Because I Read It in the Tabloids. See, I told you yeah. it was all bullshit. Well, it doesn't matter, does it? That's not the point. <laughs> so anyway, um, h- here's the story. Uh, it goes, it's time to kill all the mosquitoes, says Daniel Engb- Engber. Of what publication? I don't don't know. but Just hold on. It was bad enough when these pests were spreading diseases such as malaria and dengue fever around the world, causing the death of hundreds of thousands of people every year. But now they're also spreading the Zika virus, which is believed to cause birth defects. Oh, God,
2: they spread that as well
1: now. Yes. Enough is enough, says Daniel Engber. Rather than just seeking to repel these flying hypodermic needles or to control their numbers by spraying cancer-causing pesticides around, let's go for the nuclear option and wipe them out entirely. Uh, Apparently, for the first time in human history, that option is now within our grasp. By introducing uh, genetically engineered mosquitoes into the wild... I can't see that
2: being a problem at all. Have they not seen... Every horror film and science fiction film ever.
1: So, apparently, by introducing genetically engineered mosquitoes into the wild, it's quite conceivable that we could totally eliminate at least, uh, the, at least the handful of really dangerous mosquito breeds. Or create a super species which is impervious to all medicines yeah, and pain. Yeah, and which will take over the world. Yeah. So... They think that genetically modifying some mosquitoes and adding them in, that they will seek out the kind of handful of bad ones and kill them. Mm. Now, um, so eco-activists might not like that option, but there's little evidence that mosquitoes form a crucial link in any food chain. Little evidence. Oh, that's fine then. Or that their niche could not be filled by something else. Nanobots for example when science journalist janet fang investigated this option for the journal nature in 2010 she concluded that life would continue as before or even better so what's stopping us let's take on these agents of bioterror at their own game it's time for mass mosquito aside is is janet happy to put her sort of potentially
2: her life on the line for that decision is she going to be responsible if it all goes wrong we say janet you did say it would be fine, and it isn't. You've created a super mosquito, which is killing everyone on the planet. What yeah. are you going to
1: do, Janet? It's the, the good basis of a good horror film. It's like scientists try to do the right thing by wiping out all the mosquitoes and entering, adding genetically modified mosquitoes in. And it results in this weird sort of mutated mosquito yeah. monster. And, which uh, is
2: released by sort of um, green activists, like in 24... 24- twenty 20- 24 24 hours later 24 24 days later 24 days later yeah
1: rage infected monkeys that's right (laughs) it'll be rage infected mosquitoes yeah okay so here's the last story now do you yawn a lot
2: uh yeah we've already talked about this the other day that yawning is a stress mechanism Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily just mean you're lazy or tired it means you're probably trying to defuse stress really and people will yawn when they're on edge or threatened, sometimes like get... cats and dogs do it as well. Yeah. If you stare at a cat and it yawns, it doesn't mean oh I'm loving being stared at. It means I just want to diffuse this awkward situation.
1: Either that or you're boring. Yeah, to the cats and dogs. So maybe just if we yawn to pull oxygen in to like give us a little bit of oxygen to calm down.
2: I don't know. I think it's a facial thing which i don't know it's something deep-rooted inside us, some animal instinct which kind of on the one hand says i'm very relaxed about your presence but on the other hand says look at my teeth yeah so i think it's a double meaning it's like oh i couldn't give a shit about you mate but um
1: look at at my teeth yeah now do you think that yawning is contagious yeah can you explain like what first of all what do i mean by contagious when you see someone yawn it makes you want to yawn Okay. Yeah, maybe
2: a bit, yeah. Why
1: is, th- why is yawning contagious, do you think? Because we're complicated beings. Yeah. Now, who do you think yawns more, men or women? Women.
2: Why? Because they're more sensitive to social situations.
1: And why would that make them yawn more? Because of the reasons I just said. Okay. Because it's a social diffusion tactic. Right. So they're more socially oriented. They're more socially... Tuned in, more sensitive, yeah, to to the mood in the room, and so they're more likely to 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 get a yawn as well, a contagious... maybe not though because they're a bit more polite as a general rule, women, so they're probably less likely to mm. do it. So don't know, but I'll say women. Well, here's what the research has said. So apparently, this is why women yawn more than men. Ah, yes. So you're right, but why? Well, it is well established that yawning is contagious. Now, researchers have found that it's more catching among women which reinforces the theory that contagious yawning is rooted in empathy. Not mm. sympathy or sensitivity, but empathy. Kind of what I was getting at, though. Yes. The team from Italy's Pisa University ordered more than 100 people at work in social situations and everywhere else over the course of five years uh, and noted how often they yawned. How do you think they ordered people in these situations to yawn, these Italian scientists? Oh, they ordered them to yeah, yawn? Yeah, because they... They observed. Sorry, they observed more than a hundred people. So I thought. That, sorry, I thought they. I thought they're like, okay, we do a big uh, yawning experiment, then we have a pizza. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that's uh, obviously a gross uh, Stereo- uh, stereotype. Well. But uh, the Italians don't mind. They're, they're they're usually all right for a laugh. They're too busy drinking. Yeah. They're too busy drinking what? Peroni and <laughs> riding around on scooters going ciao. Yeah. Okay, we like the Italians. Anyway, so this is an Italian study. So they observed people in lots of situations over five years, and they found that both men and women yawned spontaneously at about the same rate, spontaneously. But, um, and that both sexes were more likely to catch a yawn from someone they were close to or familiar with than from a stranger. Okay. Um, so that means that, you know, I would I'm more likely to catch a yawn from you than I am from someone I don't know. Okay. Um, um, So, however, women were significantly more prone to contagious yawning than men. And the the researchers suggest this is because women have evolved to be more empathetic on account of their maternal role. However, previous studies have failed to find a gender link and other experts said further evidence was needed. So this could be just Bollocks. another expert said why are you wasting
2: my time with this stupid question
1: another expert said sorry but that's probably bollocks another expert said
2: sorry it's not really my field of expertise um <laughs> troy barry he's he's much more his cup of thing
1: so there you go apparently you were you were right basically that i know women have more empathy and therefore they are more prone to contagious yawning i knew that yeah all right then um now i was going to say let's end the episode but uh how uh, long have we been going oh, for? we've been going for way too long We've been going for an hour and 15 minutes.
2: Oh, God. I'm sorry, people.
1: Well, hopefully they've they've enjoyed listening to us I ramble on about nothing. I think it's a really nothing. boring episode, Do you though? think so? Yeah. But don't not, say... many, not many laughs and not many wild tales. And instead, we were just sort of slightly arguing with each other, weren't we? Um, but um, what was I going to say? What was I going to say? Um, I was going to say... You were going to tell a joke at the end of this episode as a sort of, well, hopefully a reward for the people who've listened all the way to the end. But saying that often, the jokes are the things that people find most difficult to understand. But we like jokes on Luke's English podcast. And you've you got. You wanted a... me to tell an anecdote, didn't you? But well, we've do got you want loads... The anecdote or the joke? Well, I mean, I want the joke first, maybe the anecdote afterwards. But um, you've got a talking dog uh, story. You've got a talking dog joke. Oh. I like talking dog jokes. All right. Okay, let me. Let me do it properly then. Okay. All right. A man's
2: walking home from uh, work one night. He's had to work late. And he sees a, an old pub he hasn't seen before. And so he thinks, oh, I'll pop in. Pops in, gets himself a pint, and he's looking around. It's No one seems to be in the pub. Um, so he finishes his drink, and just as he's about to leave, he sees a sign in the back room saying, Rex, the magical talking dog, only £10. He thinks, £10 for a show in the back of a pub. It's better be good. So he pays his £10 to the bloke on the door and goes through into a dark back room where there's a load of people huddled round a stage. And this man's on stage with a dog. And he says, roll up, roll up. It's Rex the talking dog, special magical talking dog. First of all, Rex, what's that wooden stuff that they have around the outside of trees? And Rex goes, bark! And then uh, not really much applause. The next question, so Rex the magical talking dog uh, I heard you were a bit under the weather. How do you feel today? And the dog just goes, rough. The bloke at the back goes, come on, mate. This is shit. The dog turns around and goes, all right, all right. Give it a
1: chance. I don't really think that really came off well. Well, it has to be done. To be honest, uh, that was difficult because um, you have to tell jokes with companies so that people will laugh. They haven't heard it before. I know the joke well already. You know, the, you- I saw something
2: funny the other day in the park there was a big skinhead bloke big butch bloke um walking his pitbull type dog which had a muzzle on what's a muzzle it's a sort of leather mask that goes over the dog's face to stop it biting people because right. it's obviously a dangerous dog yeah so this big muscly skinhead was walking around with his dog yeah and then meanwhile a little uh sort of middle-aged woman was walking her very annoying yappy little dog
1: little small yappy d- type dog. Little, little
2: small yappy dog don't know what it was and The yappy dog just came running, running up to this big pit bull, yapping, going crazy and sort of full on attack mode. You know, the way little dogs seem to do. They don't have any fear. Yeah. And the bloke with the uh, pit bull, the pit bull was like straining at the lead. And even though it had a a muzzle on, it was still trying to attack this little dog. And you got the impression it was going to rip this muzzle off and just rip this little dog into shreds. Yeah. And the bloke was like, you're agitating my dog. Get your dog away from my dog. And, yeah. um the little uh, dog was still yapping and jumping up at this pit bull and the the guy was holding it back and the woman was just flapping her arms she didn't know what to do she You're was kind scared, of scared right? scared and hysterical and didn't know what to do she was ah! i was just quietly laughing at the scene <laughs> and then uh, the dog the, the bloke picked up his pit bull which was trying to wrestle out of his grasp mm. and the dog was the little dog was now jumping up trying to hit get to this pit bull Jeez. so the skinhead took a step back and just booted this little dog (laughs) with full force, kicked this little dog, and the dog did a backflip about four feet in the air, landed back on its feet and just carried on again as if nothing had happened. Came back for more. (laughs) And the bloke was losing his mind. He was almost crying, I swear this bloke he was so on edge because he was sort of close to his dog and he didn't want to see his dog upset. So the dog dad had to grab the the bloke had to grab his dog and he ran off into the public toilets <laughs> with the little dog still following and oh yapping oh my goodness it was so so funny and i was trying to laugh without the guy seeing me cuz he looked really sort of Upset. scary yeah. scary and he might have taken it out on me but right. i was quietly secretly watching and pissing myself with laughter fantastic
1: oh it was good. very funny Oh, we like little stories like that, don't we, everyone? I'm sure we do. Sorry it was such a crap episode. Do you think that was a crap episode? But don't you think that saying that is going to now make people who previously thought the episode was quite good, they're going to now doubt that?
2: What's that thing you say? Never
1: explain, never apologise. Yeah. Unless
2: you've done something which requires a lengthy explanation and a heartfelt apology.
1: And in this case, I don't think that's necessary. So we're not going to explain or apologise. All we're going to say is that uh, thank you again for listening to this rambling episode of Luke's English Podcast. And I said it would be at the beginning. Did not Did I not? Did I not suggest that? He did th- warn you. Yeah, I did, didn't I? Okay. Well, thanks anyway for listening. And, uh, you know, I'll be uploading more prepared, professional-sounding and frankly speaking, more useful episodes of this podcast soon. But thanks for being back, James, on... Uh,
2: thanks for inviting me to Paris and buying my ticket and everything. That was a lovely you, gesture. I think
1: you owe me some euros for well, that. Well, you owed me some euros already. So, so we're, I square. Think we're, square. we're square, aren't we? We're even Stevens. Even Stevens. Alright, ladies and gents, thanks very much for listening. For th- 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 <laughs> thanks very much for listening. <laughs> Speak to you again soon, but for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 <laughs> Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hold up.
0: What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.